In this series of podcasts, we discuss the transforming work of God, who is uncreated being, upon our souls as limited, created being. We discover how His Word reveals the truth of the union of His Spirit with our spirit through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. This transformation of our lives is not just about a change from bad to good. It's about a shift from natural to spiritual, from old creation to new creation. Well, hi, Paul. How are you? Going very well, thanks, Scott. Well, we're up to the fourth commandment. I'm very interested in this one because I think there is some confusion amongst Christians about how to apply the fourth commandment in our daily lives. But before we get into the specifics, let me read what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Sabbath day we are told to keep holy, and for Israelites it was from Friday afternoon to Saturday evening, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. But based on this commandment, some Christians today still do observe the seventh day as their Sabbath, but most Christians don't keep this one, do they? So who's right and who's wrong? That's one of the biggest problems of even talking about the Sabbath is is a matter of who's right and who's wrong. Because we cannot judge one another and say, I am absolutely right about what I do on the Sabbath and you are absolutely wrong. We really have to get it from God's point of view. What does it mean that he rested on the seventh day and he made that day holy? Well, what is a day? What do you think a day is? Well, a day can be like anything from a 24-hour period, can't it? And generally that's the the usual meaning. Yeah. 24-hour period. And I think in the Hebrew, the word is yom. Mm. And in Greek, it is... Well, in in the book of Hebrews, actually, it it quotes that very same scripture. uh, And it, it says, He created the earth in seven days and he rested on the seventh day from all his works. And that word day is... Hemera, H-E-M-E-R-A. Right, which now, is more a period of time. It, it is. It's, it's a contained period of time, but it's usually a, used as it, a 24-hour period. If you use the word day, like what are you going to do this day, would you use Hemera? The word is shaped by the context that it's in. It can mean a, a long period of time, an age. I mean, in fact, our own English language, you know, we say... Day. What do we mean by day? Do you mean 24 hours? I I know that you've said things like, back in the day, and what was that day? Was it the 18th of November, 1984? No, it was back in the day. Mm. It was just some kind of period of time. Mm. So we can use the word day, even in our own English language, to have a much wider meaning. It is contextualised as to what was happening then, what was the purpose of it, Mm. and what does it mean to us? So it's a good question, Mm. but even that can bring up a lot of confusion, Mm. and it doesn't have to. No, but Peter also kind of elaborated on that point, didn't he? Yeah, the Apostle Peter, in 2 Peter 3, verse 8, he said, "Um, the day of the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So some people say, well, that's it. A day, every time you see the day, 
you must think of a thousand years. Now, I don't necessarily want to shoehorn everything I see when it says day in the Old Testament into a thousand years, but I must say there are times when I have found that that has led me down a very interesting path of hermeneutics, of understanding what God means when he says, after two days I shall return and in the third day you shall be blessed. And, and you think, what two days is he talking about? And you're thinking, is it 2,000 years? And what's happening in the third day, the next thousand years? And I think that's an interesting point. So I do get fascinated by the fact that God is able to use these methods of telling us what is happening in certain periods of time. Mm. We don't have to make a, a create a church on it and say, mm. well, okay, I'm going to build my church on this doctrine that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. But if you really want to read some of the things that are being said and get a better understanding, you'll accept that that's there, it's in the Bible, and it's not there by accident, mm. that's all. Mm. So when we look at the day, the seventh day today, I'm going to be using it in a much wider term than 24 hours mm. and even a thousand years for that matter. Mm. But we'll get to that as we go. Yeah, and even in uh, Genesis after creation where God rested on the seventh day, the previous six days talk about and then there was evening and morning, doesn't it? Yes. But, the, but on the seventh day, that's not there. No, well, and that brings in... What I hopefully I'd like to get to today is that there is a day that God is waiting to enjoy with us, <laughs> which has really no beginning and no end. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we're living in the quality of that day now. Mm. If we're living in the kingdom of God with God, if we have the kingdom of heaven within us, that day is happening. When you said you know, the scriptures in Genesis say there was a morning and an evening, well, that, the Hebrew language had to be able to speak with an oral tradition to people, to children, to people that weren't philosophical, and let alone scientific. And when God said, I used this day to do that and that day to do that, the question is, well, when did you start? When did you finish? How do you define the day? And so normal colloquial language, well, the morning was, was the beginning of the day and the evening was the end of the day. And that tells the story, paints the picture, and there's truth there. There's a beginning mm. and an end to the things that he did. They were conceptualised and contextualised within a certain period of time. Mm. So, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a ways to go here. But Okay, so if we get back to Christians today and how they should apply, we, we do know that you know, there are whole groups of Christians who observe, you know, from Friday evening to Saturday evening as the Sabbath because, you know, God blessed it and made it holy. And there are others that will call another day. Most Christians would say Sunday as their Sabbath day. Yeah. So how do you reconcile this? We've got to look at what the New Testament says to us about this. Because the Old Testament gives you pictures, like we've just said, days with mornings and evenings. And uh, there is the sense of ages that can happen. And then there's the sense of the seventh day going on. <laughs> where to? Where from? Well, we know where from, but where to? That gets clearer in the New Testament if you actually dig a little. And we're going to do that today. Like, for instance, in the book of Colossians, 
we are told not to argue about it. Or put it this way, we're told not to judge one another. Um, it's in Colossians chapter 2, and it says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a, a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, right? You're not to judge. And it goes on to say, These things were a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Well, the reality is Christ. Those things were a picture. There was a day set aside and they were made holy. They were consecrated, set aside. That's what it means. Because you have to put your attention on something that God wants to say to you about himself. And so that was a good thing to do. But now the reality is Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end of time, he is not limited by a 24-hour occupation of our minds or one day a week. Okay, well, I'll accept Jesus into my life one day a week, and that'll be the Sabbath, and I'll, I'll talk to him then. No, no, he takes it all. There's lots of things in the Old Testament that were portions of things, and mm. there were little messages about this belongs to God. Mm. You know, there are many Christians that tithe, and they say it was a tenth. Okay, well, that's what he's going to get, for tax or after tax. And it becomes so legalistic and mm -hmm. everything else. God was just trying to get at people's hearts as if to say, look, just remember mm -hmm. the, who gives you that money. And people honour that. That's fine if people want to tithe and do that and honour God because that was a way for him to remind us of something bigger. And that is, in the New Testament, Everything belongs to God. Mm. It says, don't get anxious like unbelievers do mm. and worry about what do I wear, what do I eat, what do I drink, what do I put on, what am I going to have? And he says, your father knows you have need of these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of this is going to be added to you. In other words, I own it all. It's all mine. And you can give out, a, out of a bountiful heart. And you can give whatever you like, but make sure you do it recognising that you got it from me in the first place. And you can give to other people in that spirit of being liberal, etc. It's travelling through the cross from the Old Testament examples into a New Testament reality of everything is in Christ. Mm. You don't slice it up. You can have a tenth of this. You can have a seventh of that. You can have a seventh of my time. You can have a tenth of my money. He doesn't do that anymore. It's all or nothing. That is our rest. So that reality is paramount. Actually, that's vital because that becomes our way of life. The commandments even express themselves is loving relationships and faith and not judging one another. Judging is more than just penalising somebody. This is talking about judging penalising somebody. Don't condemn somebody. Don't exclude them. We've got 36,000 denominations. You hear me say this a fair bit. And you've got denominations arguing about the Sabbath and excluding one another from fellowship or whatever. We, we're not to do that, not to judge one another. And it's vital. But you can judge in the sense of discerning error and calling it out. I think you need to judge in that. But there's a, there's a scripture in the book of Romans, chapter 14, that says, when it comes to what, what Paul calls doubtful disputations, they're peripheral things. They're not the essential nature of, of, of Jesus and salvation. 
he says, be careful not to judge and argue about these doubtful things. And, and it's a beautiful scripture in, in Romans chapter 14. And he says, don't exclude anybody. He says, accept somebody who's weak in faith. Because it's all about faith. Some people think, oh, I can only eat vegetables. And in Romans 14, he says, don't get involved in these arguments about right and wrong and judging because some people have enough faith to say, I can eat anything. But somebody else says, my conscience says I can only eat vegetables. That's what I was taught, and that's right, and you're wrong. See, it's all about right. But then that would be right for them because it would go against their conscience to not do it. That's perfect. That's right. Paul wants to make that clear. He says, if you feel free to eat something, don't look down on those who don't feel free in their conscience. And for those who don't eat the certain foods, don't condemn those who do. Don't judge them. If God is honoured in that, Paul goes on to say, if they're doing that to honour God, God accepts them. And who are you to judge that person who's doing something to honour God? You've got faith to not feel restricted by that, but they want to honour God and do what's right. So you can see how tricky this mm. right and wrong thing mm. is. It applies much more broadly than just to the Sabbath, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah, it does. Well, actually, he, does, he mentions the Sabbath here because he speaks about condemning or judging another person's servant. He said, their own master will judge them, whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they'll stand. They might be pushing out too much energy and going to all that trouble. And we think, what are you doing? Just trust God and enter into this rest. And God says, hang on, they're doing it for me. Don't judge them. Because then he goes on to say, um, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think that every day is alike. Now, that's interesting, isn't mm. it? He see, Paul was preaching here or teaching a church in Romans, in Rome, in the book of Romans, and he hadn't ever been there, but he knew that there were Jewish believers and Gentile believers, and he knew that all this stuff would come up. Mm. And what he wanted for them was to accept one another and love one another and relate together and accept the fact that they're honouring God by coming out of different um, ideologies, um, religious filters that they mm. had, and he said, look, they're doing it to God. Just leave some of this stuff alone because there's a bigger picture. But it's interesting he didn't say everybody must observe the Jewish Sabbath. He didn't say he that. He didn't say that. And then, and then later on in Acts, Peter um, and Paul had a, an issue, didn't they? Because Peter wanted to start to um, enforce some of the Jewish laws on the Gentiles, the That's new, right. the new yeah. believers. Uh, and and, and th that, that brought up a whole... Rather well, different questions, but in the, yes. in the, it's all along the same lines as to as to which parts of the Jewish law apply to Christians and which don't. But in this particular situation, Paul's been quite clear is that there is no requirement mm -hmm. for the Gentile believers to actually no. adhere strictly to the Sabbath law. This, that's right. But they still have to obey the Sabbath. See, everything comes through the cross. God has never said, you don't have to obey me anymore. It's a matter of how do you obey him and mm. what is the meaning of it. And he sets a lot of things up in the Old Testament. That's why the Jewish law had set a whole lot of things up as a reminder. But we have freedom in the New Testament to do it by faith mm. if we know how to be obedient. And that's mm. what we're trying to look at today. I mean, even in this scripture in Romans 14, he says, 
People will differ on which day is the one that they have to observe. But he said, you should, each one of you be fully convinced that whatever day you choose is acceptable. And those who honour a special day, do it to honour him. Those who do not honour a special day, do that to honour him. Um, those who eat any kind of food, do it to honour the Lord and, and they give thanks. So it's a matter of your faith. And Romans, that was his whole message in Romans chapter 14. And he brings it up again in, in Corinthians about of eating meat offered to idols. And he said, you know, he knew that they were spooked. Oh, this meat has been offered to an idol. Can't touch it, can't touch it. And he says, look, I know that that's how you feel. And those things were forbidden under the old covenant. He said that we know that there are so-called gods and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us, there's one God, the Father, through whom everything was created. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom everything through whom all things were created, by whom from the Father, through whom with Jesus, and through whom we live. But he says, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. You see, the reality is Christ. And some people get superstitious, and that's old covenant taboos because their idolatry was a big problem, but it was a physical, out-in-the-open thing. Now it's an internal thing conceptualised thing, our idolatry. Well, we did that in the second commandment. Mm. Well, we, <laughs> so talked, we talked about before that the Israelites broke the first three commandments before Moses even came off the mountain of Sinai get when he received the Ten Commandments. That's right. So what about this commandment? Did Israel obey the Sabbath? Yes and no. <laughs> See, when we get into this right and wrong, we, try, we insist on absolutes. But when you're coming from somewhere that has been made absolute and rigid and you come into something where the Holy Spirit doesn't legislate but arbitrates, and there's a difference. The Holy Spirit will take a scripture in the Old Testament that seems to have nothing to do with what Jesus has done and the, and the apostle will say, yes, this is why it was written in Isaiah 29 and 30. He speaks about the Syrians coming down from the north to bring judgment upon Israel. And he says, in quietness and confidence will be your strength. And he says, and in other tongues and in other lips will I speak to this people. He says that in, in, in Isaiah 30. And Paul uses that in 1 Corinthians 14 to say, yes, so we can all speak in tongues because it says, the Lord has said in other tongues and in other lips will I speak to these people, but they would not. And they would not in quietness and rest. And he's taking a scripture from from it. And it seems, where did you get that from, Paul? The Holy Spirit speaks and arbitrates truth. We just have to accept apostolic revelation. Now, we can't fool around with it and say, well, I'm going to make this thing into that thing because I feel like doing it. But there are things in the canon of Scripture that have been taken and the Holy Spirit has spoken. So that's where we're treading in this hidden ground, which is revealed. And that's the beautiful thing about it. God reveals himself through that. So when I say yes and no, they did obey the seventh day, but they missed the essential aspect of faith and trust in God. That's what happened to Israel. And he, he chides them about it in, in Hebrews chapter 4. He said, you're a people of no faith. He said, you, you wouldn't rest. And they would have said, hang on, we were there every Saturday. You know? And he said, no, that's not the point. See, 
In the New Covenant, our faith is all about seeing God in action. We think it's about us performing. And that's a problem with Christianity, <laughs> is that sense of, and it's a human thing. It's not just Christianity. I've got to perform and I've got to look holy to myself even. And I've got to do something that God will be impressed with. God's not impressed with how we try to look holy. He's impressed with the relationship and our honouring of him. And so they couldn't rest and watch God in action, not on the seventh day, but every seven years, they were told to put their plowshares away and rest for one year in seven and enjoy relating to each other as a family, as a community, as a nation, and to watch God supernaturally grow the crops for their harvest. Now, you think, well, what's this bit of magic that's coming in? Magic is not a theological word, but if I was allowed to use the word magic, I would use it for this thing that God did on the Sabbath and the thing that he wants to do in our lives in our Sabbath. He wanted to demonstrate that he was providing for them mm. out of love in a miraculous, supernatural way. And he wanted them to enjoy their time together and watch him do it and give him thanks and bless one another. That's the Sabbath. Mm. Well, but, he even did that in the wilderness, didn't he, with the manna? They weren't allowed to collect manna. That's true. On the he was day. always, always doing that. That's a good one. Mm. Mm. He was providing for them supernaturally. But look, for them, that, this was not on. T taking a year off was not a good commercial proposition for them. Hang on, we've got crops to grow. Uh, we've got rivals out there doing crops and sharing and marketing and stuff like that. And we've got to look after ourselves. We don't want to get behind. And they wanted control over their own productivity, just like we do. Mm. It's but, a human thing. Well, they paid the price for that, didn't they, for, for not resting on that every seventh year? That's exactly right. You know how long they stopped doing that for? Was it 490 years? It was from the time of King Saul, yeah. they stopped obeying that seventh year rest. That was 490 years. Ah, yeah. So what God did, and he's very good at maths, he divided 490 by seven and came up with 70. So he said, in the time that it's due, you're going to pay me back that 70 years and you're going to go into Babylon, uh, which comes up in, in, in Second Chronicles. He talks about what happens. But anyway, that was... That was the consequence, as you mentioned, yeah. All right, yeah. So, so why did God want to rest? Did God need a rest? No, he wasn't tired. He's never tired. <laughs> and um, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. He wanted to be refreshed in sharing what he loves most to do. That refreshing, relational, bonding, a shared friendship with his children. And that's what rest is, really. It is sharing together, relationally, what you've done together. I mean, he'd, he'd just done this. And he was wanting to show his kids, look, this is, this is mine, but I'm sharing it with you. It's yours. And you're going to become part of this recreational thing with me. That was his rest. And that's what he still would like to have to enjoy everything that he's done. It's the same today. I think we're beginning to lift the lid off this now, Scott, mm. but there's a lot more to go. Mm. Okay. Well, we talked before about how the commandments all relate to one another and that they're not oh, just yeah. a laundry list. Yeah. How does this commandment, number four, relate to commandment number three? 
Okay, well, we'll just do a, a quick recap. The first commandment says, I am the Lord your God. Don't make another God or another source of life or identity and purpose, right? Don't make another God. And then the second commandment says, don't make another image. Then the third commandment says, don't attach my name. Don't use my name in vain. Don't take my name and use it as a label for that image that you've just made and call it me. So you've got number one, I'm the Lord your God. Don't have any other gods. Number two, don't make an image of that God and give yourself an identity and a sense of meaning and purpose of what you've created. And number three, don't attach my name to it. Don't use my name in vain. Now, number four is the result of getting all of that wrong because that's dead works. Doing commandment one, two and three incorrectly is the most stressful way to live. And our community is plagued by it rushing to make an image and, and saying, this is my provision. This is what is meaning for me. This is my ideology. This is what I bow down and worship. This is what gives me purpose. You all should be doing this. And they make a religion of their ideologies. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be political if you like. And it's stressful and it's killing people today. So all stress, no rest. Where's the relational bonding and unity and faith and trust? and reality gone. So no real Sabbath experience. That's what the world is missing today. And the church probably. No real Sabbath experience of rich relationship and creativity. So failure in, in three means no understanding of four. So you have to stop somewhere. And number four is the epitome of the best God wants for us as far as a lifestyle to have, if we can get number one, two and three right, However, he's waiting with the fourth to complete it and fulfil it in our lives in the days in which we live through faith because we've got Jesus in us who has not blown commandment one, two and three. He lived for his father. He didn't make an image. He made himself no reputation. He didn't use God's name and attach it to something that was his invention. Mm. It was everything for his father and he was in perfect rest. That's what repentance is. And that's, that's where the wake-up call is, a new mindset. It's the number one classic example of what the New Covenant calls, the New Testament calls in the book of Hebrews, repentance from dead works. Mm. And then we talked before about the Ten Commandments could be used as a diagnostic tool. So yeah, that's, that's right. how you get to the root of what the issue might be. Yeah, exactly. Even psychology recognises the fact that if people are stress heads, they're working too hard. Why don't they take a rest? I mean, it's a pretty normal, wise response to being stressed and out of control. And I mean out of control because it is about control. People say today, after what God has laid out as the blueprint in the commandments, you need to take time off. Um, a lot of corporations, or at least the CEOs, give themselves a, a sabbatical. Mm. So it, it does come into our culture as a remedy for stress and overwork. Yeah. Well, if we take it way back to the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, did they ever enter into that rest? Because they did disobey God and eat of the wrong tree, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They spoiled the party. God had a beautiful time of recreation and rest for them to display his creation and to even involve them and join them to him 
you know, in their recreative life, which they were going to do, recreate and multiply <laughs> and populate the earth and have dominion over all of this and be creative, make beautiful gardens. I mean, it was going to be something. God, I believe, had entered into the rest with them at that point, and then they mucked it up because the serpent didn't like the idea of rest, and he still doesn't. Satan got in and said, none of this rest business. You guys have got to prove how good you are and perform, which is what he's doing to the church today and to everybody today and what he did to Israel. And so it became competition. And he hates the idea of the real rest. And so he said, you can be as good as God. You know, you can eat of this tree. You don't have to obey him. And they fell for that. It's human nature to just say, well, let's see what I can do. And that was the problem. Um, but they were actually in that rest. Yeah, they were in it, but they, they cut it short. Mm. It, came to, it came to an end. And that's why later on in the Bible, um, God says in the book of Hebrews, he says, we're waiting for another rest to happen through Jesus, right? And that's what we've got to enter into. Even Israel spoiled their seventh year recreational rest. You know what God even said for them? He said, you go into rest. And they squealed. They said, no, we won't have anything to eat. We need to be in control of our own productivity. And this is what he said to them in Second Chronicles, in chapter 36. He says, what I will do, I'll command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring enough produce for three years. That's not a bad deal. And they said, no, leave it with us. Was it lack of faith? Is, is it that was what the absolute was? lack of faith. And in fact, that is the picture of lack of faith for me and for you for all of us it is no let me do it my way i can't hand this over i can't see it I'm, i've got i'm got anxiety i'm very uncertain about my future if i'm in charge of it i know what i'll do god says no no you've got to leave it to me and i can just imagine imagine them if they had have done it out on the veranda feet up and the locusts are coming and moisture says to Becky, hey, the locusts, <laughs> if only we were here to fight off the locusts, but we're all sitting around watching and all of a sudden this big cloud comes and there's a swirl in the sky and God gets rid of the locusts. And then they start to say, what about the rain? There's no... And then God says, don't worry, I'm in charge here, the rain comes. Then the crops start growing, then seed starts falling. I mean, it would have been wonderful to see. They didn't get to see it. Mm. And there's a lot of stuff we don't get to see. For the same we, reason, for the, the lack of faith. Reason, a lack of faith. Mm. And the fact is, we want to control it. We can negotiate faith with God unwisely. We say, I'll do this, God, and I'll believe you for doing this for me, and I'll do this for you, and you do. God doesn't negotiate that way. He says, leave it in my hands, watch me at work, and wait, mm. and in your patience, possess your souls and enter into that rest, and you will see my will get done in your life. That's good, Lord, but I've got a, my prayer here that I would like my will to be done, and I can claim this promise. God says, no, 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 you are now legislating my Holy Spirit's work. <laughs> Who's in command of all of this? Mm, it's treating God as though he's coin-operated. Exactly right. Yeah, so anyway, that's, that's not resting. They call that seventh year the Shemitah. They got stressed didn't enter the rest. And in the Psalms, God says, I was grieved with that generation. So 
they had to do the bondage in Babylon. And uh, they weren't in slavery, like in Egypt. That was the world. They were kind of put into a place that allowed them to do a lot of things, but according to their own culture. And I believe that's what the church is in today. Mm. That's what it means by come out of Babylon. I believe the church has become this tremendous institution and a lot of wonderful good and there's faith and there's love and there's all the great things, all the good things are in the church. But there's also some of this because we don't understand the Sabbath, we're doing our Babylonish thing, wearing the Babylonian stuff and doing the Babylonian <laughs> culture. And it's, it's a, a, a prison and it's a, a consequence of not coming into rest in our culture today. I'll actually earmark this talk we're having now and put a date stamp on it. We're in the middle of the coronavirus thing now. And our culture is being messed up big time. And a lot of people are asking questions. Does this culture work this way? Where is our peace of mind? Where are our relationships? And I think God is saying, you know, I'm going to give you some time to find out now and bring you out. Mm. We could be going through... Enforced rest. An enforced rest in inverted commas, in Babylon. Now, I've, I've never preached that. I'm saying that now. Okay, Paul, so what is the other rest you talked about before? You said there was another rest. Yeah, there's, there's a greater rest for us. That one that, that they could have had, that they didn't take up, supernatural, was um, seeing God in action. And that's about the best example you could have lived under the law to model this other rest, the new rest, that we can enter into after Jesus. I mean, it was quite spectacular, wasn't it, for mm. a whole year? But now it's not just a year, it is a lifetime. That's our new Sabbath. Mm. And in Hebrews chapter 4, which talks a lot about this Sabbath, it says, um, from the time of Joshua, if they had fulfilled God's rest, in other words, if they had done their little bit that was the, it was the parable of what we can have, you know, with the seventh year, a metaphor for our lifetime, if they had done that, then he wouldn't afterwards have spoken of another day, another hamera, which means to settle. And this word, as I said before, is defined more or less clearly by the context. And the Bible goes on to say, there is still therefore another rest, a special rest. And the word in, in the book of Hebrews is sabbatisma, Sabbath. There's another sabbatisma waiting for us to be fulfilled for the people of God. That's now. It's waiting to be fulfilled. For he who has entered that rest has himself also ceased from his works the same way as God did from his. He uses one to be a bridge. He uses the rest of creation, the Sabbath day, he uses the Sabbath day for Israel, one day a week, and he used the seventh year to test their response of trust in him as a bridge across to this another rest that we're to enter into, which is a special hamera, a special day, a period of time, uh, which we're in now. Mm. And this day will end, this age will end, but then there'll be another day which is eternal. So we're, we're invited into something now that we can enter into. And in fact, when you go further on in the book of Hebrews, in that same chapter, it says, therefore, let us make every effort to enter into that rest. So if Christians say, there's no effort in Christianity. Yeah, there is. This is the effort. <laughs> the effort is to block out your own, 
impatience and demand for controlling things and sit and allow God to fulfill you and to fill your heart and mind. Make every effort to enter into that rest so that we don't fail by following their example of lack of faith and trust. Therefore, strive to enter into that rest. And that's a big ask. That's a big challenge. In Hebrews chapter 12, it speaks about the basic principles of faith. And then it speaks about repentance, faith, baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. And then it says, let's go on to perfection or maturity. But the first one, repentance, is it doesn't actually say repentance from sins. What it's defined by in the new covenant is repentance from dead works. It's for this rest. John the Baptist in the old covenant spoke about repentance from sin because he wanted there to be forgiveness of sin. But God wants something even greater for us to enter into a rest. You know, we, we spoke about in Romans chapter 14, where we spoke about some people observe one day above another, some eat vegetables and not meat, etc. When he gets to the end of that chapter 14, and he says, so don't be condemned yourself, don't be, don't judge, come under judgment for what you allow yourself to do by faith. Now, isn't that, mm. you think that's license. No, that's confidence in the bigness of God. And you know what I believe it is, for me anyway, it is confidence in my own heart that I really have handed stuff over to God. You belong here, God. This is your territory, a body you've prepared for me. Now, if I can say that as truly as I can say it, then I don't have to condemn myself in the things that I say, oh, thank you, God, I'm not being disobedient by eating that or by, by not obeying, putting a certain day aside, etc. And then the very next verse, Paul says, for what is not of faith is sin. Mm. You, know, you know what sin is in the new covenant? Unbelief. Mm. Jesus said in the, in the Gospel of John, he said, I'll send the Holy Spirit into the world and he will convince the world of sin. And then he explains it because they don't believe. Mm. That's the sin. We get stuck in that. Mm. And once you believe, then that place of grace with God, that place then allows you to be free from sin. You are alive to God and dead to sin and alive to God. Mm. So it's, it, it is... Sin still has to be faced and dealt with, mm. but it is now from a place of resting in God mm. and unity with him and his grace flowing and your heart desiring not to sin. Anyway, Well, repentance is a prerequisite for all exactly, that. Yes, that's that's the first step. And, th and that is the first step. And that's, well, my whole mindset has to be changed. Mm. It's a big well, well this, this brings us on to probably the final question, which is okay. around pulling all this together yeah. around the transformational nature of this commandment. So how yeah. should we apply this in our lives? I would say the transformation is the fundamental one of rene renewing the spirit of the mind. Can I use the phrase that we used at the beginning of the podcast when we say, what is the uncreated podcast all about? And I spoke about the transformation of our souls, uh, not just from bad to good, but from the natural to the spiritual, from the old creation to the new creation. This is the fundamental change of becoming part of the uncreated being joined to God in that way. And in the book of Ephesians, it says, it says you, what you're to do is to put off 
the old mindset or the old way of life under Adam, the old Adamic mindset, which was separate from God. Put off the old man, the old Anthropos, the old Adam. Put that off. Be renewed. This is in Ephesians 4, verse 19 and 20. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on, in other words, clothe yourselves with the new man, which is Christ. You're now in him, created in God in all righteousness and true holiness. I mean, that's a gift. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19 is basically talking about a process. And I don't believe that's just a once for all. Okay, yeah, I've done that. I've put off the old man. I'm in. I'm now the new man. Here I go. Look, see me being holy. Look, I'm praying now. Isn't that good? It's not about what it looks like on the outside. In fact, I reckon this is something that we've got to be doing, not just from day to day, sometimes from hour to hour, mm. because we slip back into the old way of wanting to have control. And it says, put off the old man, uh, in, if I'm quoting correctly from Ephesians 4 now, 19 to 20, it says, which has become corrupt in its downward spiral of sinful behaviour, right? Put that off, which is, it has just lost it. It's just, the shine's gone off. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Get your new mindset. Realise your position, who you are, where you're from, who you're with, and who you're becoming and put on this new man. You know, we need to be constantly aware of this. Instead of just saying, oh, yeah, I became a Christian 30 years ago and I was transformed at that point. Now that's I, it. I, so it's a, it's a constant focus for us in our daily lives, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. And, and that's a real challenge. But it, 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 I think it's reality. It just makes us become real people. We realise, whoops, I'm back in the old man again. I'm back in mm. the natural man. I'm getting upset with that person. They didn't do things the way I wanted to. And I'm judging that one for not believing the way I, I think they should believe. I mean, I get those feelings. Mm. And I think, where am I coming from? Oops. Mm. Yeah, so it's transformational mm. because you go to God and then you come into the rest. Mm. Thanks, Paul. It's been excellent. Next time, we're going to talk about commandment number five. Okay. I look forward to it. Thank Thanks. you, Scott.